Hello and welcome to The Fandomentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Sorry, did I hit my head and wake up in patriarchal bullshit land? Don't put me in charge! It certainly worries me to make self-defeating mistakes out of fear of appearing weak. You were right. We are from different worlds. That is a failing indeed, but I cannot laugh at it. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonar, which is available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello! And Julia. Hi, guys! The three of us write and edit for thefandamentals.com, our geeky media website for fundamentally sound fandom analysis. And for a limited time, except not limited at all, we just launched a subscriber service, Fundamentals Plus, where for $3 a month, less than a cup of no, no, more than a cup of coffee, but less than a latte. That was it. Depends on where you're buying the coffee. That's true. Uh, you can support us, and in return, you will get a discount on our store and some exclusive Fundamentals Plus content, uh, which is going to be a couple podcasts, uh, some kind of video content, probably, or live hangout, maybe a Twitch stream. And uh, a special editor essay, and you will get that every month. So mm-hmm. hopefully that's worth three bucks to you. If it's not, no worries. We're not gating any content. Uh, so definitely subscribe. We've got a little Fundamentals Plus link uh, on our homepage, which is, again, thefundamentals.com. Enter in the first, because I had a friend couldn't, that couldn't find the site the other day. <laughs> oh, because they were just looking under Fundamentals. They just went Fundamentals.com. I was mm-hmm. like, well, first of all, you could just Google search Fundamentals, but... It's okay. So I put it, it. I put it on my resume, obviously, and my new boss was like looking up the website. And she sent me an email. She's like, "Your website's very interesting, Julia." Oh my gosh! <laughs> Tell me why you write about so much gay shit. <laughs> hey, there Who is this equal opportunity <laughs> So we want to also thank our listeners of the Fundamentalist for your patience. We kind of went on a entirely impromptu summer vacation <laughs> because. Right. Basically, uh, Gretchen was out of town, and then Julia was out of town, and we just couldn't find time to record around it. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, then, and I had break. surgery, and yeah, it's fine. I'm fine. For all of you lovely people who were like, "Are you okay?" I'm totally fine. It was routine. I just had an ovarian cyst that they cut out. Yeah, it was like scheduled and stuff. Well, what, that's what I told people when they were wearing it. They're like, "Oh God, is Gretchen okay?" I'm like, well, it was scheduled. So. Right, it had been scheduled for six weeks. Yeah, she knew it was coming. Don't worry. But we're yes. definitely happy to be back and sewn up, I guess, uh, and ready yep. to record. Yep. So at the end of our last episode, where we explained solo <laughs> to a very <laughs> bemused Gretchen, yes. We promised that we were going to do a segment on found families, and then shockingly, that went too long. We could do it. Oh, gee. So this episode is going to be on found families, and then we're going to continue the sort of familial theme. Our second segment is going to be on disappointed dads. Welcome Uh, to the I Disappoint Dad Club. (laughs) But actually disappointed. Well, I don't know. Aang might have been pretty disappointed in the movie. He might have been. Yep. Uh, and then our fun segment to break that up is, again, somewhat familial, I guess. Sometimes families hire babysitters. So, <laughs> Which the question one should of they the not day, hire? 
<laughs> which Disney princess should be a good babysitter and which should not get the call? Right. This is very relevant. Hey, I my brain's in a weird headspace, so this is Look, what the happens. the fun segment is to have fun, and we're going to have fun, damn it. Yes, we will. Uh, we're going to start things off with the fandom news, obviously, because we've been off for like a month. A lot has happened, so we're going to focus on somewhat recent news. Uh, the most recent being that there was a Stephen Bomb last week. Oh my oh god, my god go watch it! Go watch it. Ah. I can't. If nothing else, for certain character design choices, just go. Yeah. Watch oh my it. god, that like, was so awesome! It was like uh, you know exactly the opposite of what you would expect, and it's awesome. right. Yeah, there was also a wonderful Amethyst episode in the middle mm-hmm. of it. Yes. Just... Oh, Amethyst! I love Amethyst so much. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah Bo was. We were Google Hangouting while we were watching it live. And like at some oh point, God. we just both became incoherent. Like we literally <laughs> were like, I have no words right now. I just like, I just need to sit for a, a while. I cannot we're not wait even to watch the next episode. Right. And of course, we have no idea when it's going to happen. Of course. I think Griffin, Griffin was literally squeeing at yep. of it. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was yelling a lot. Happy yells. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty great. Isn't it awesome to, like, enjoy what you're watching? I know, right? Well, and it's, like, a weird experience because I started watching them right after I had finished talking through Dragonstone stuff with you, Julia, for our next GOT podcast. Uh I was like, oh, yeah. The one that we gave up in the middle of. We were just like, you know what? We'll do the second half at some other point. We can't even. We will talk through the second half some other time. (laughs) But, yeah, the going to show, that's good. So, So watch it. That is good fandom news, just... Nothing but enjoyable. Yes. Right. It's it's so – it still surprises me that I can be so satisfied with conclusions of, like, character and story arcs and just, like, have nothing to nitpick about and just be like, wow, that was amazing. And, yeah, it could have gone differently and still been good, but I'm really happy with the way it went and yeah. I wouldn't change any of it. That was great. Yeah, I completely agree. And we got, like, three new songs. Or at least two this time. It was wish fulfillment of stuff I didn't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, 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 this is a show that you can actually trust the showrunners that, like, they will give you what the story requires rather than what you want, and that will be fine. Right, right. (laughs) And this is a show That's trust I hardly ever feel. (laughs) Yeah, I, I'm at a point right now where I could believe in redemption arcs for characters that if you had asked me whether or not I wanted them, like, mm-hmm. a year ago, I would have said, fuck no. But as of right now, I'm like, yeah, I, I think I could be satisfied with that. Yeah. I think they could do it well. I think, I think I would be happy if they did a redemption arc for, you know, certain characters. So, yeah. Certain unnamed characters. Certain unnamed, yeah, certain unnamed characters. So, unfortunately, we have to take all that enthusiasm and happiness and talk about something <sighs> in the opposite direction. Uh, the news that's been dominating, uh, really, all media yeah, this weekend. Yeah, it, it was on the CBC. <laughs> yeah, uh, Scarlett Johansson has been cast in a biopic on Dante Tex Gill, uh, who is, or was, I should say, a trans man and a crime boss. And, Hire yep. trans men to play trans men. It, like, Hire <laughs> trans actors to play trans characters. The fuck? God damn it! I mean, the only fuck. the only way that I can think it's some somehow justified is if the movie is about his transition. 
Because then but that gets even, a little even, tricky. But even then, you can probably even make it then, work. Higher chance, man. Yeah. If you could, if you could make, if you can use makeup to make a cis woman mm. look like a trans man, good point. You could use makeup to make a cis to make a trans man look pre-transition. Yeah, like, right. It's bullshit. Like there's mm. to me, there's no excuse to ever, especially no excuse to hire someone who is cisgendered of the gender that they do not identify as. Right? Yeah, because like that's the other thing. For um when Eddie Raymond was play Raymond was Red playing Bane. Yes, thank you. <laughs> when he was playing uh a trans woman, there is like a lot of discourse around that basically to the effect of if you're gonna hire a cis actor, which you shouldn't fucking do. Right. No. But if you're going to do it, at least hire a goddamn woman to play a trans woman because otherwise it's gonna keep perpetuating this idea that trans women are somehow invalid, that they're not that they're you know, really religious. just men in dra- in drag. Yeah. Like is what it what it ends up And tr- oh, yeah. cis women playing Bullshit. trans women tend to win Oscars. It's kinda weird. Right. Right. Which is <laughs> I think it's happened three times now. Right. Yeah. Yep. Either way, this is just bullshit. Right. It's, right. it's 2018. What? Also, ScarJo hilariously looks nothing like no this guy. Well, Tex Gill yeah. is was yeah. like overweight. Yeah. He was a large dude, and they hired fucking ScarJo. Yeah, well, like, I think I think like the- that trans men fall into that like no fat chicks Hollywood thing somehow. It's ugh, God's yeah. sake. Right, and what? The other thing that, that's been getting me about it, one of the other things is all of, I've seen a bunch of stuff on Twitter where people are like, oh, why haven't people been bitching about this before? And I, what? and like I've, everyone I've seen, which is pretty great, is like, oh, oh, so you finally started listening to the trans community now. That's what I'm hearing is that you weren't paying any attention to trans people before. And you finally caught on to the fact that trans people have been bitching about this for Absolutely. like decades. It's called social progress. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. But I've I've seen people actually say like, "Oh, now that it's Scarlett Johansson, people are complaining." I'm like, "Do you? Oh, so you weren't aware of all of the shit that went down with Eddie Redmayne?" Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. See, I was. Oh, right. Wow. Huh. Guess who wasn't paying attention to the trans yeah, community? It, it's just this has been a very common criticism, and for right. really good reason. Yeah. Too. Yep. This this is just absolutely absurd at this point. Right. Well, it's the same. Is it the same director as Ghost in the Shell? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it so, is. Yep. I'm like, oh, good. Another another role. She she should. He, he's right. Like playing like bad casting bingo. I guess. I guess. <laughs> what other roles can we cast Scarjo in that she has no legitimate right to have? There, there was this great uh, post that showed Scarjo holding the Infinity Gauntlet, and like one of her stones was like Asian, one was oh my trans, and it's like if she can collect all the rest, then she'll be the most powerful of oh appropriation. Uh, she's a good actor, which makes it like doubly a shame, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really frustrating when artists artists have a you know disappointing public um, persona, right. I guess. Right. Because one would think after the backlash of Ghost in the Shell Seriously. that working for the same director who's trying – I don't know. I don't want to assume anything about her. But, like, I know if I were in that role and a bunch of people had criticized me for taking a role I didn't deserve and then was handed another role, I would be like, I don't I don't know about this. I don't – even even just based on the backlash from the last time I worked for you, I'm not sure this is a good idea. Yeah, like, maybe I should talk to people first. <laughs> right. 
Let's right. check in. Yeah. Anyway, not not to belabor oh. that point for too long after we went off about it for five minutes, but some other news, uh, mixed by good and bad, I guess. Uh, Margot Robbie confirmed that Birds of Prey production is starting for that movie. However, it will have a smaller budget than the other DC films. Why? I've heard it's going to be intentionally diverse, though. Yeah. Which to is be honest, pretty exciting. Uh, their giant budgets aren't really doing much for okay. them. I mean, look, I mean, Deadpool, Deadpool 1 was mm-hmm. a really good movie, and it had a super tiny budget. Mm. Oh, totally. And I think, if anything, not being overly reliant on really good-looking, you know, CGI fights or whatever they need it for, I think that might help. I think so. Back through adversity and all that. And Marco Robbie was literally the only thing that works about the DCU right now. Well, I guess, I guess uh, Gal Gadot. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But I still haven't seen Wonder Woman, so I don't what? know. What? fine it's fine speaking of action ha- <laughs> speaking of fight scenes mm-hmm. uh oh carrie russell is being eyed for star wars episode nine. Oh my god all these women in star wars is ruining it <laughs> i will say i i'm going to be a bit of an eeyore about this because i'm like yay carrie russell also can you not hire another white brunette like god damn it God fucking damn it. <laughs> I saw a joking tweet that said that she was going to be a Knights of Ren. And, like, we just get a flashback of her with her, like, wonderful eyeliner fighting alongside Kylo. I mean, I kind of dig that. I'd be, yeah, if she's evil, I don't mind. If, uh... I just, I just really want <sighs> a non-white brunette in a Star Wars movie. Like, seriously. I'm so over it, and I am a white woman with brown hair. Yeah, <laughs> and I I don't want any more. I, mean, I want that other I could be women. In a Star Wars movie. What? It gives me hope that I could be in a Star Wars movie. It's important to me. Maybe she's gonna have a role like Phasma, and she just never takes her helmet off. Maybe, okay. and we'll be like, "What a good job, Gwendolyn Christie did with that." <laughs> I mean, we got to see Gwendolyn Christie's eye once. It was blue. It was blue. Jamie Lannister was really into it. <laughs> I think I, I will withhold a little bit of judgment until I see what yeah, kind right, of role right. she's going to be in. But right, yeah. I, I'm also, like, I'm like, that could be interesting, especially since it's described as, like, an action-heavy. That could be cool. She did a good job with the Americans. Yeah, yeah. very good. I, I mean, I don't even know what the other options are for her. Ray's girlfriend? Like, I mean, I'd be down for that. <laughs> uh, she's a little old to be Ray's girlfriend. Like, it creepy. Yeah, totes. That's true. Uh, Okay, moving on. The Charlie's Angels reboot is now confirmed. This was already uh, suspected that it will involve Lupita Nyong'o and yes. Kristen Stewart. So they are officially on board for Elizabeth yes. Banks's Charlie's Angels. Yeah, maybe they'll like move away from the whole Charlie thing. Or maybe Charlie will be a woman. Maybe. That's true. Because uh, Ash- Ashley Olsen's love interest in getting there was named Charlie. That's true. That was a woman. <laughs> I've n- I know women named Charlie. Yeah. So yeah, like pushing I, daisies. I just no, also recommend watching Getting There and and looking at it as a coming of age lesbi- lesbian love story. So. I, it's the only way it works. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> or else it's completely incoherent. Uh, we are kind of out of time for news, so a couple quick things. More live action anime is coming for no reason at all. This is going to be uh, Gundam being produced. There will never be an unemployed white actor again. Hooray! Well, it's it's being made by Legendary. Legendary's done okay in the past, mm-hmm. so 
it's fine. But again, it's kind of like, why are you adapting a TV show into a movie? I don't know why this is necessary. Nostalgia. Yay. Oh, wait, we were talking about that before we were recording. It was totally relevant to something we were saying earlier, guys. I promise. (laughs) Uh, Tessa Thompson made a little bit of a splash on social media by basically coming out, but not like... It's very... What do you mean? She's not already out. It's well, unclear. She is one of those people that she thought she was. It's uh, everyone. It would. She's one of those people for whom it would really, really, really surprise me if she were straight. Uh, there are a handful of people like that that I'm like, you haven't said anything, but it would like I would eat my hat if you were straight. Didn't she have like an Instagram post? She more hints at things than explicitly right. says anything, which is fair. I think that people are allowed to do that. But, well, this was this was more, I think she might be out bisexual. I'm not really, to be honest, I don't keep up with that a whole lot. But I believe what she was saying vague shit about was the nature of her relationship with Janelle Monet. So that's, like, people are kind of interpreting it however they want. Like, there's all these horrible hot takes on the internet. Yeah. So are they together? It would not be a shock. But, right. you know. Also, I saw Janelle Monet last night at Summerfest, and it was amazing. Oh, really? Yes. It was awesome. so good. Oh, my gosh. It was great. That, I'm still riding un- a hide from that show. It was so good. I'm incredibly good. jealous. Were you up for that last night? Yes. I <laughs> I was – like, that was when I had my surgery on Tuesday. I was like, I don't care what else happens. I will absolutely be recovered enough to go see Janelle Monet Because I bought tickets before my surgery was scheduled. So I was like, yeah, I am so going. Use them. I have a ticket on the floor. Um, rather than, yeah, rather than being in the bleachers, like way in the back, I was like, I am going to buy an actual ticket for a seat. I'm going to be as close as I possibly can. And I don't care how I'm feeling. I'm going. I actually felt fine. It was great. I danced around. I, I may have, uh, mildly upset one of my sutures, but I also did not care because I was going to dance along and yell. Because I love her. <laughs> I do. I love Janelle Monet. Anyway. Well, there you go. Yes. Yes. Speak, speaking of, of queer icons. And Tessa she is one. <laughs> Janelle Monet is one. Uh, apparently we're getting two LGBTQ characters in the MCU? Two. We get two. So they can pair off? <laughs> one assumes. Uh, okay. Thank you, Marvel. Yeah. Yay. We could have already had some if you weren't such assholes. Well, didn't they cut Valkyrie's, like, bisexual scene? Right. And they did the same thing with Io in Black Panther, according to rumors. Yeah, I heard that too. But they will make literally everyone happy if one of them is just Bucky. Oh my gosh. Oh. I mean, it's not going to be because he's, like, the the next Captain America, whatever. So I'm sure they're going to have him be straight, but... That would make everyone happy. I just, uh, I wish, I just don't understand what they're doing. Right now, it just feels like they're trying to throw breadcrumbs after they've already, like. Oh, that's totally it. That's they've, totally like, they've like, shit the bed, and they're, like, not going to wash the sheets. They're just going to put, like, a new blanket on top and pretend and, and try and get but everyone hey, to hey, believe hey, that hey, they hey. haven't shut the bed. Disney is great with this shit. You know, Lando Calrissian is pansexual. Right. Sure. I mean, I think it's just these companies realize that 
there's a monetary benefit to having more diversity like this, but they don't actually want to risk anything and alienate other viewers. So they do the bare minimum. And we don't even know when these LGBTQ characters are coming or if they're going to be like main characters in any way at all. Or if they're going to be explicitly so on screen or if they're just going to make a movie and then be like, hey, guys, that person. Yeah. Like they've done totally like four queer. times. Yeah. Make it a... Shuri and MJ and people will be happy too. <laughs> yeah. But fair. anyway, moving on from the news, let's get into one of our favorite topics, which is found families. Could you imagine that running a colony would be this dull? So about uh, probably a couple months back, I went to Wiscon, and one of the panels that I went to that was my favorite one was actually on found families. Um, we joked that it was the tissue panel because it was just a very like emotional panel, and everyone was talking about found families and how important they were, and made me realize that I could just keep talking about it because pretty much all of my favorite shows have this dynamic involved in them. Um. And it seems to be something that especially for people who don't fit into um, normative society in, in one way or another seems to be even more poignant. Um, I mean, most of my friends who are who love found family stories are queer, um, though also some of them are straight but maybe poly or maybe have something else about their experience that doesn't quite fit in. They may have mental health issues. Um, abusive families, like there's just something really meaningful about watching a show where family is a choice and characters get to choose who matters to them. Um, so yeah, I mean, what do you guys think about, I mean, that's a lot, <laughs> but like, that's a really huge, at least element to me is like seeing characters get to choose who they consider to be important to them. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, like, because I think for a very long time in Western culture, there was this idea of, like, you know, loyalty to blood kin that was mm -hmm. really central to a lot of storytelling. And there's been a good, like, 200 years of pushback from the, from that at this point. Mm -hmm. and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of still there. <laughs> right. Yeah. I will, like... <laughs> We had a episode, I don't know, a year ago at this point, on complicated familial dynamics. And yeah. a lot of what we liked about that is actually like very much diametrically opposed to what is appealing about fam found families. Mm. Because it's so much guilt based on this concept of duty that you kind of don't mm. elect for yourself. It's thrust upon you. So it, it has that whole, you know, intersection of the personal and political, right? And how do you balance it? And how do you try to navigate all these competing wants? Right. But with found families, it's kind of more freeing. Like you said, it's, it's the characters choosing what they want and finding significance in it. It's also, you know, the recognition that relationships can be beyond a friendship in a way uh, without being romantic, too. Right. They can yeah. be that meaningful and that central and that grounding for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it... And, yeah, there's there's the aspect of it, too, where it's like if you're marginalized in any way, you know, you, you kind of have this experience, um, because you sort of seek out this acceptance just n naturally with, you know, even if it's like a fandom family, 
that that you're coming to find. So found families are often reminiscent of like that struggle a lot too. Right. So I I would say especially um comedies that are centered around found family, which is you know, like Mike Sure basically that's just his bread and butter. <laughs> so <laughs> anything he does with that, it's it's usually really good and, and kinda heartwarming in a nice way. Um but just just in general, I think it I think it works in a very like comedic sense. Sometimes dramatically it's a little tough to make it feel not forced, but the mm. ones that do it well do it really, really, really well. Yeah, no, that's a really good point because I'm thinking about the two shows that immediately sprang to mind for me. Um, one is Warehouse Thirteen because I've just been watching it. Um mm. but then another show that's related is Leverage and they're both they're not dramas. Right. Like they're like they're not really comedies. <laughs> um like they're not really comedies the same way like Brooklyn Nine Nine or Community are. They're just like they're your they're procedurals. They're like sci fi like sci fi procedurals. Or like leverage is a heist procedural. Um, and it's mostly like they're very lighthearted. Like they don't take themselves too seriously. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like when I try and think of like a, a drama that is done found families well, I have a really hard time coming up with one off the top of my head that's like a straight up drama. I think the closest, I mean, cause Guardians of the Galaxy obviously is one of the most comedic of the MCU franchises. Right. Uh, although, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was not exactly a lighthearted romp. No. There are jokes, but it, it was a, it was almost Black Panther-ish in tone, it felt like, where there's jokes, but it's really a, a very serious drama at the center right, of it. Right, right. Yep, yep. Um, in terms of, uh, another straight drama might be tech comics, mm. uh, the te- detective comics during the Tinian run, because that was all about establishing the Bat family, who, some of whom are related because Bruce has, like, five kids or something. But for the most part, the core of it, it was, it was a found family dynamic. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the only thing I can really think of that's super like not comedic. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's sense eight, which is definitely about a found family. Mm. Uh, and that's mostly dramatic in tone. I mean, it right. definitely has, it has like comic relief moments basically, but yeah, definitely not a comedy. So what about star Wars rebels? Oh, that's a good one. I can't speak to that. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah, I think Star Wars has overall handled the found family dynamic really well. Um, I think that is one thing that they do pretty consistently. (laughs) The original trilogy has a literal found family. Right. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) look, look, we're related. Yeah. (laughs) But even then, like they, there's a, they are blood related, but they're more found family than they are anything because they weren't raised together. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that both Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, which are obviously going to be my examples for everything for all time. Well, duh. Yeah. They're both definitely examples of found family, but then they also both have actual siblings in the found family group. Mm. It's just like, which I don't think detracts from it in any way, but it's just kind of interesting because it's like, oh, you already have this family dynamic coming into it. And then it's kind of like, uh, especially Avatar, I would say, was maybe a little bit more overtly found family than Korra, just because... Asami felt so peripheral for a couple years, and you know, even even in the last season, the group dynamic was kind of de-emphasized. Whereas 
Avatar The Last Airbender was like, they picked up more and more family members as the years went on. Right. Legend of Korra had a harder time keeping the core group together. They tended to splinter them. They hardly ever, you hardly ever got all of them acting together at once. Whereas Avatar, that was more the exception than the rule. Right, and some of that was that uh, Avatar was a travelogue, but then they right. also lampshaded if things were split off, like with uh, the life-changing field trips with Zuko that everyone got, <laughs> except Tom. Poor Tom. Yeah, but, but it was very overtly found family by episode three when Katara tells Aang, we're your family now. <laughs> right. So they kind of smash you into the face with it. And, and it, it was emphasized with Toph as well, too, when she joins. And Sokka's like, yeah, Katara kind of acts like the mom. Maybe that's because our mom died and she tried to take care of everything. Mm-hmm. So, right. Wasn't there I, I a Buffy episode where they're just like, uh, where they say explicitly, like, we're her kin and who are you? I'm trying to remember what that was about. And they're, they're like, I don't remember we're that her one. Family. Yeah, it was a bit. Um, Willow's girlfriend, whose name is escaping Tara. Me. Tara, yeah, like she oh. has these like horrible relatives who like right. tell her yes. that she's evil. I remember that one. It's because they're be- just like giant misogynists, right? Because she comes from like a religious cult. <laughs> yeah, basically, and they all band around her and protect her. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, they're like there's we're like, her family. You're just her relatives. Sometimes there's kind of like a weird line between a very strong friend group and found families. So like. When I was looking up lists of, like, to make a list of just some of these examples, friends was listed as found family. And they, maybe this is rude to friends. They always felt like, you know, just friends with very fully realized family dynamics separate from that. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's kind of like the sitcom thing. Because, like, in sitcoms, like, you have this group of friends who spend, like, a ridiculous amount of time together. Right. Like, I do not spend that much time with my friends. <laughs> but compare that to, say, Brooklyn Nine-Nine or yeah. Community. And those two are very, very overt examples of found family, I would say. Yep. Yeah, I think... I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you, though. There's something There's something about friends that never struck me as... I, uh, I think part of it... This might be controversial. I think part of it is the hard line between the male and female characters. Yeah. That there was very clearly a, like, we are the girls and we are the boys. Yeah. That there was sometimes that, like, weird, I would say, like, mildly sexist divide. That, like, Friends they would... mildly sexist. Right. And that, I think, Next hinders... Next mildly homophobic. Yeah, I mean, it is. Um, <laughs> like, that, to me, like, gets in the way of a found family dynamic. Because to me, like, found family, there's no space for that kind of behavior that doesn't get called out and then addressed. No, you'd be functioning like siblings, you know? Right. And that's, it it wouldn't be that strictly, like, separated. Yeah, you're right. 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 I was going to say, maybe it's because they also keep dating each other, but no, like, in community, there's that, and it doesn't really detract from the found family aspect, so. Right. I don't know. It's 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 a fine line because Buffy I struggle with a little bit too sometimes because that's again it feels like just a very strong friend group with fully realized family dynamics outside of it. Yeah, I'm not. I don't see that as found family so much. Mm-hmm. And in in a way, maybe that's why Legend of Korra struggles with that a little bit more too. Right. Although you know, Zuko obviously has his very little found family and the family he chooses. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's somewhat ineffable, I think. Mm. But 
You know what we haven't mentioned yet? Steven Universe. Oh, my God. Right. I mean, Steven Universe is very literally, like... Yeah. I mean, but it's it's also a very literal family. It's about, right. like, a boy and the people who raised him. Right. Amethyst found us... We found Amethyst and then we decided to keep her. <laughs> right. But what I love about Steven Universe is, like, at the heart, I mean, it is about a boy and the people who raised him, but there's always space for more. Mm-hmm. And the relationships, like, change and evolve. Even yeah, within like, the family so- dynamic. Oh my god, guys, have you watched the latest Steven Bob? Go watch it. <laughs> right, because like there's there's room for like Connie and Lapis mm-hmm. and Peridot and Can we talk about her little yellow dress? Oh my gosh! Oh Peridot <laughs> in a sundress. It's so cute, you guys. She's adorable. She it's got the no shoes. shoes. No. Yeah, it's it's a it's a spoiler <sighs> that she has yellow shoes. Where are they pink? They're pink shoes. It's yellow sundress with pink shoes, and I just love. Yeah, it was adorable. I thought she was wearing slippers when I first saw her. I was like, I thought they might be Crocs. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. I was like, I think she's wearing Crocs, but that actually feels 100 percent in character for her. (laughs) They kind of look like it. Yeah, to be wearing like pink Crocs with a yellow sundress. Like I totally believe Peridot would do that. Well, and SU is very uh, Steven Universe. Sorry. It's not really that much faster for me to just say SU. Uh, they're very overt with this, too, where, like, there's that episode where Greg has baby Steven. Right. And, like, baby Steven's glowing and being, you know, kind of a weird fucking baby. <laughs> so he even says, like, I think it would be better if we all raise him together. And they're like, yeah. You know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of uh, the weird surrogacy plot line on a Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Kind of doing the same thing, aren't they? <laughs> Everyone oh. is somehow involved in this weird surrogacy thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't. That one's losing me a little bit. <laughs> I, 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 if Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is another example where I would not call that a found family so much as just friends. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I think the most significant one, at least the one that impacted me the greatest, was Guardians. Mm. Shockingly. I didn't expect to feel that way about Guardians 2. Hmm. Like, the first one I saw, and it's, you know, it's fun. It's kind of feels very generic Chris Pratt movie. Right, yep. <laughs> Poor Chris Pratt. <laughs> and then the second one, like, put Found Family as its thesis statement. Right, right. They they even have that reiterated, like, five or six times by characters within it. They have an opening montage where Groot is dancing and everyone's taking turns parenting him. Oh, I love that. I'm sorry. I know baby Groot was just like a cynical marketing kind of ploy, but I totally fell for it. Yep. I don't care. Right. <laughs> and then they also tackle like fatherhood mm-hmm. and abusive parents and breaking the cycle of violence and bonding over trauma and and maybe you're hitting on something that separates like a something that's just about a group of friends versus found family is it seems like to me found family almost always at one point or another deals with one or more of the characters family of origin like explicitly deals with and the distinction between their relationship with their family of origin and the relationship with their found family which is where that one episode with Buffy might cross mm-hmm. the line into found family for Tara. Hmm. I'm not you sure. Right. It, I'm not sure it works as well with the rest of the family di- with the rest of the characters, but at least for Tara, I think Tara fits into like the Scooby Gang more. Like this is her family versus 
Like, I don't think of Xander as, like, having a familial dynamic with the Scooby gang. But I do think of Tara as having that. It it also kind of, like, there was, like, that one episode with Willow's mother. But other than that, like, none of these people other than Buffy seem to have a family. (laughs) Right. kind of weird. Right. They don't. You're right. They don't really seem to have families. Like, where are Xander's parents? (laughs) Right. Which is... Which is where, like, yeah, I feel like they either need to address family of origin somehow yeah. or the characters have to explicitly talk about their relationships as if they're family. Because Brooklyn Nine-Nine, we don't really know anything about most of the characters' families, but, like, they very explicitly talk about, like, Holt as their dad. Like, We knew that Jake's mom has a drawer full of medical remedies to not pooping. Right, yeah. We need to clear, we need to cure pooping, okay? Right. You know, but like each of the, like several of the characters talk about like Ray Holt as their dad, as like the dad of the group. So I think one of those two things has to be present. Otherwise, like it is harder. It just doesn't feel, at least to me, it doesn't feel like a found family narrative unless they're either explicitly talking about it that way or at some point or other, one or more characters will have a, We'll have multiple times to address the distinction between, like, no, this is the group of people I choose to be a part of. Right. And I think that's where community really shines, too, Mm. as sort of explicating that. We do get some digging into family of origin stuff uh, with Jeff's dad, particularly. Um, I think Abed, they tackle that in, like, the second or third episode, just kind of how his parents view him Mm. and view his pursuits uh, we understand, we come to understand like the pressures Annie's under and stuff like that. But then they also do talk about each other in a real family context. They have issues where they try to vote one of them out and the group falls apart. And it's just all sorts of things like that where their dynamic with each other and their need to stay together as a group is addressed like over and over. Mm-hmm. That's a good show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I recently watched several episodes with some friends of mine and like I'd never really watched it, not for any particular reason. Mostly because I don't really watch a lot of sitcoms, and I I was pleasantly surprised by it. I enjoyed it's it. Maybe a sitcom. It fits into that same general-ish umbrella. Hmm. I mean, I don't think it's really a sitcom, but like, I don't really think Brooklyn Nine Nine is either. But like, how else do you I think classify sitcoms it? Sitcoms have to take place in people's living rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's a comedy. It's, it's the new gener. It's what our generation. It's what it is to our generation. What sitcoms were to the generation before. I'll put it that way. Okay. All right. It's like a half-hour comedy about a group of people. Yeah. In situations. Yeah, it's situational comedy. Yeah, Good Place fits into that, too. I don't – I think the sitcom's a little bit dead at the moment. Well, I mean, they keep trying to bring them fucking back, but – Yeah, well, sitcoms, I think, like, they're also classically, like, very episodic, right? Like, it doesn't matter what order you watch Seinfeld episodes in, more or less, but – Right, exactly. Right. You have, like, the George getting married subplot or whatever, but, Well, uh – Generally. What's – shit. What's the Netflix show that everyone likes that's a One Day at a Time? Yes, yes. So, like, the order, the chronology does matter to the overarching right. story, well, but it's still very clearly a, like, a sitcom. That's the difference between, like, this new generation of sitcom, I think. Because, like, The Good Place, you gotta watch them in order, or it makes no sense. Oh, yes, The Good Place is right. basically, it's a very, very funny drama that keeps going on. <laughs> right. Right. But, yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah. Um, 
And hopefully that means more and more found family narratives. However, <laughs> that is our time for the segment. Let us know what your favorite example of found family is. Or if you disagree with us about that friend's distinction. Maybe I'm just salty because friends isn't that great. Yeah, it really <laughs> like it's not found family because I, mean, I don't like it. Yeah, it's definitely, it's not like, you know, two and a half men bad, but I don't get the appeal of friends. Oh, no, me. like it's, it's, it is what it is, I guess. It was a zeitgeist for a while. Yeah, exactly. But let us transition into our fun segment on Disney Princess Babysitters. What else? <laughs> We're family. We leave no one behind. Except maybe you. So apparently Gretchen is in a really weird like mindset lately because we asked her, what fun segment can we do? And this is what she suggested. Hey. I spent, like, a couple of days this week, like... On drugs? Looped out <laughs> on either anesthesia or opioid pain medications or both, um, and then went to a Janelle Monet concert, <laughs> and my brain's in a little bit of a weird... Hey, it's just hey, doing hey, all hey, sorts hey, of hey. things today. I went on a road trip with my mother. It's true. I, I don't know which is actually more traumatic. Me having my abdomen <laughs> cut open or you going on a road trip with your mother. And I mean that seriously because I've been on a road trip with my mother. Oh, and so honestly, I. I feel so sorry for myself. You have no idea. I would <sighs> rather go through surgery again than go on another road trip with my mother. So my mother's visiting next week, but she's not staying with me. So Wee! it should be. There's some distance there. That's good. You're not going to be in a car for nine hours. No, I'll just be playing with a baby the whole time. It'll be great. Oh, yay. Yeah. You'll have to send us pictures of the oh, baby. Oh, naturally. The baby. Anyway, the baby so Gretchen's mind wandered to the very, you know... Logical. Tried and true topic of <laughs> Disney princesses as babysitters. Yep. Who who would you hire or not hire to I, watch your I child? Think, I think we should go yeah. around and say our, our... No, no, step number one. We have to define a Disney princess. Because we were arguing about this beforehand. Well, I think anything Disney owned. Pixar counts, Star Wars counts, Marvel counts. Do granted, they have to be a princess by birth or marriage? If they are not in Disney proper, then yes. Yes. Because otherwise this list is going to get stupid. Yeah, so what I about agree. Nani from Leona, Leno, Lilo and Stitch? Definitely not a Disney princess? Uh, she's kind of not... No. I mean, she would be, she'd be a great babysitter. That's a shame, but she's not. <laughs> I mean, technically, Moana doesn't count either. So. No, but Mo- Moana is a princess. No, she's not. She, she's the daughter of the chief. She's a princess. And Pocahontas is a princess. Oh. Why is Mulan a princess? She's not. She's not. Well, she's by marriage. No, she's not. No, That's in the sequel. No, no, no. She's not she's a princess not. at all. Like, not even a little bit. Mulan isn't. You're right. I think if, if Mulan gets to be a princess, Nani gets to be a princess. Okay. Okay, okay fair. Mulan and Nani are princesses, <laughs> okay. but, like, Black Widow is not a princess. All right. <laughs> that's fair. Okay. I think that's a fair distinction. Sure he is. Yeah, yes, sure he is. Sure he is. Because she yeah. is. Yeah. Because she's, she's an actual princess. princess yes. Okay. <laughs> so let's say our top choice and our bottom choice. And okay. Julia, I want to start with you. Oh, my top choice. Um, I mean... I fought for Nani. I think I have to pick her. Yeah, I feel like you kind of do. Yeah, well, you know, like, Nani, she tries her best. Sometimes, you know, she's late and she tries to get in through the cat flap. And <laughs> But I, I think that if you left your child in her care, 
She would put up with all of her weird moods, and she would put up with all your pets, and I mean, she would like, even, even if she had to take her to her fake luau job, she would do it because that's what she needed to do. She would yeah. get it done. This is so unfair. She is taking care of a child. That is her plot. <laughs> yeah, that's why she's I mean. so good. She's experienced. <laughs> okay. Who's and she it? handled a total like alien being from outer space coming and living exactly. in her house with like not not a whole lot of d- wait problems. wait a second didn't child protective services almost come yes but child protective services also had Lilo's best interests at heart it was a twist I love that movie it's a really good really good movie mm, it is a really good movie and they actually like address cultural stuff and it's yeah. good. <laughs> Okay, so who's your bottom choice for Disney babysitters, then? I'm going to leap on it before any of you guys. Princess Leia. Mm. Clearly a Disney princess. I think we can all agree. Of yes. course. And, like, revolutionaries make the worst parents. It's just a fact. You know, she's got a rebellion to run. <laughs> the last time she raised a child, he turned to the dark side and, like, tried to kill her. Um, like, what more can you say? You should probably just throw your kid into the garbage chute. I mean, we would have to specify that she would be the one doing the babysitting. Because yeah, Leia would be really good at delegating <laughs> exactly. a good babysitter. Oh, but she, would, she herself... She would hire Nani, exactly. Right. She would She would be like, okay, thanks for hiring me. I'm going to make. I'm going to find the right person to do the job. She'd be, she'd be a good babysitting agency. Ooh, yeah. yeah. She's I mean, she does man. have to watch Han all the time, so I think it's fair. <laughs> Just kind of like being a babysitter. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I can't overlook the fact that she raised Kylo Ren. I, everyone knows that Leia is, like, my favorite character ever in the history of the universe, but, like, no, not a good job. I mean, she didn't raise him by herself. <laughs> what, you think Han mostly raised him? I'm I'm saying the fact that Han might not have been as involved is also a part of the yeah. whole thing. Kylie, would you like to go next? I would love to go next. Um, I'm trying... Topic is tough because there's a few people that just, like, have resources where I'd probably be fine. Mm-hmm. Like, like, what is Jasmine possibly going to do to fuck up a baby? You know? Feed like, it to she's... a tiger? <laughs> Leave it alone in the room with a tiger? <laughs> okay, point taken. Or, like, um... Leave it on the street somewhere? <laughs> Like, Snow White is fairly industrious, but mm-hmm. I think I, I actually might pick um, Tiana, just because she balances. She's super responsible. She balanced two jobs, and she can, like, make beignets for your kid, and they'll be like, that was fantastic. Um, if she's overworked at the time, then maybe not, but yeah, I just, I, I see her taking that very seriously. I think my kids, would, like, she would follow the instructions and, you know, call me if anything happened. So I'd I'd be very okay. I'd feel good about leaving my kids there. Okay. Um, Bottom choice. <laughs> it's a toss up, a little bit between mm-hmm. Rapunzel and Anna, but because <laughs> well, right, they're the same right, fucking right. character. If Anna loses your child, she will go find it. Uh, I feel like Rapunzel is more likely to accidentally maim my kid. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing really hard because it's true. She's just a little bit klutzier than Anna, you know? Or the child would choke on her hair. Right. Something, something's going wrong. Or maybe that, like, amphibious sidekick somehow it's a chameleon. Like, does something. Right, right. So not an amphibian at all. 
Okay, that, I don't know what it was. It was a chameleon. I thought it was like a frog. I don't know. It changed into the background, which is not exactly what lizard. chameleons do. Yeah, but I just, uh, I, I would, even if the kid was all right, I feel like I'd come home and the house would be covered in paint or something. <laughs> and just, no, no. Okay. <laughs> That's my bottom choice. All right, gotcha. What about you? Um. All right, so I would hire Shuri. Mm. Because I 100% believe that she would be like Bill Nye the Science Guy. (sighs) And just like, my kid would get such a good, like, mind-opening education. And I bet she probably has some really badass toys. Like vibranium toys. Vibranium toys. Or a vibranium robot to do the No, see, I don't think she would. I think that she would do it, like, that she would enjoy having a little mind around that she could just be like, look at this cool thing that I made. You're probably right. Like, yeah. She would, like, she a child of a certain age, mm. she would love to have, like, like, she would be the kind of babysitter that, like, a kid could ask why a million times. And she'd be like, oh, let me tell you. Oh, let me tell you why. I know why. Because I'm the smartest person ever. And, she, <laughs> and the kid would learn a lot. And it'd be great. Um, So I would hire Shuri. Yeah, um, she's, like, a good babysitting age, too. Right. Yeah, she like, is. I, I might feel a little bit weird about hiring Aurora. Like, don't you have something else to do? Right she now? might She might fall asleep. Isn't Aurora, like, 16 as well? Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Yeah, she might fall asleep on the job. Yeah. Um prone to narcolepsy. Yeah. So mine was a toss up between Rapunzel and Ariel. So you said Rapunzel, so I'm gonna say Ariel. <laughs> because Ariel doesn't even know how to use a fucking fork. <laughs> she thinks a fork is for combing her hair. There's no way she knows how to deal with a human being. And also she gave up her vagina for <laughs> No, wait. Right. My child would she not learn good life lessons. She a vagina and a man she didn't know. Here we go. Right. Yeah. Right. I exactly. She, she would not learn good life lessons. No. My child would not learn good life lessons from Ariel. Yeah, I guess um, at least uh, Rapunzel would give her some good advice on, I don't know, hitting people with frying pans. Right. And, I mean, Rapunzel at least has, like, a sense of awe and wonder and adventure mm-hmm. about the world. I mean, I guess Ariel has a sense of, like, curiosity. She wants to explore. She's like a whole song about that. Yeah, she does have a sense of curiosity, but, like, she's also yeah. really stubborn. She and She also al- makes horrible life choices. Right, yeah, she makes terrible <laughs> life decisions. <laughs> she couldn't even show up on time for her solo. Nope. <laughs> Not responsible. Or show up right. at all to the concert. Didn't she miss the whole thing? Right. See, I feel like, I feel like, same with Rapunzel. Ariel, like, my child would be really likely to get, like, accidentally, like, maimed with Ariel. <laughs> because she'd be like, oh, comb your hair with this fork, and the baby would stab itself in the eye. <laughs> and she wouldn't know. She'd probably, like, hand them a knife. Mm. Be like, play with this. Oh, here, play with the light switch or the light socket or whatever. With a fork. I still think Anna might not be a good babysitter either, though, because I, she seems to have some kind of, like, I don't know attention deficit issue <laughs> yeah yeah in a like she might forget she was babysitting kind of way oh yeah <laughs> like, do we have any honorable mentions one way or the other um oh what um Kristoff's parents <laughs> they're not disney princesses but like they lost their fucking baby and never went looking for him <laughs> how do you know they never went looking for him they never went looking they didn't for find him, him. Well, they never found him. Doesn't mean they knew everyone looking for him. We okay, but we never hear about parents looking for a long lost child who lived like a mile away with trolls. <laughs> 
I, I feel like I'll, I'll send a mild vote of confidence for Belle as a babysitter. She'd read oh, books to the yeah. kid. Like, that's a good babysitting activity. I, I feel like she'd be able to take care of it. She stopped her dad from blowing himself up a bunch. Yeah. Um, but she's also kind of like one of the most boring safe choices for this. Yeah, so. you're right. Yeah. Let's see. Who else? What, what did you guys think of uh, Miranda? From Brave? Yeah. If I wanted my kid to go on a bunch of nature hikes, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Experience the outdoors, go camping. Yeah. Learn that their life doesn't have to revolve around having a romance. You know who else would be I terrible, actually? That. I just thought of this. Elsa. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, she can't I, touch anybody. She's a Disney queen. Yeah, she'd have to wear gloves to touch it. And she'd just be a little emotionally withholding, I think. little cold, you might just, say? Mm, possibly. <laughs> Sorry. It's right there. And and she's prone to of, panic attacks. Mm. I'm thinking of Moana. Moana would probably have an Anna-esque ADD thing going on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, if she if she felt like she was needed somewhere, <laughs> like if her magical destiny got in the way. Yeah. But she did take really good anymore. care of Hey Hey. She did I take, will say. Yeah. That was actually kind of ridiculous how well she took care of that chicken. Yeah, that poor dumb chicken that I love with every fiber of my being. I love Hey Hey so much. I'll give a mild shout out from the original Incredibles to Violet's friend who was a babysitter for a superpowered baby and like left all these messages like things are a little weird. What was the name of that princess from the Black Cauldron? Who had me following her around? Island Wee. Yeah, I wonder how she would be like as a... Well, she would just pop up through the f- hole in the floor and be like, I'm here to babysit. Well, based on the books, she'd be a really terrible babysitter. Yeah? She yeah. has no patience for, like, nonsense. Ah. Uh, okay. She actually kind of reminds me of Princess Bubblegum. Princess Bubblegum would be a terrifying babysitter. Yeah. Well, yeah, you'd have to conform to her totalitarian rules. I mean, she'll keep you alive, but... Yeah. Barely. Unless it's for your own good, in which case she'd kill you. Oh, without hesitation. Yeah. While we're speaking of Princess Bubblegum, that's a good uh, way to feed into disappointed dads. Not because she has a disappointed dad. I don't think she does. She has a lot of gum for a dad. <laughs> oh, before we move on, she we should say something about Mulan. Dad. I what feel like... Oh, I feel like we should at least mention Mulan. Mulan is not a princess. She's a Disney princess. I mean, they needed more diversity in their merchandising, yeah, so she's, she's a Disney princess. She's, she's a Disney, Disney princess. princess, franchise princess. I think Mulan would do fine. She yeah. was pretty like committed to duty at the beginning. Didn't of the she movie. run like a martial arts school in the sequel? Maybe. I I kind of also feel like she might do the bare minimum because mm. I'm not sure she'd be super into it, which is fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, I think she'd do, like, I would expect my child to be alive, which is, I guess, my uh, very low bar that I have in hiring a babysitter. Alive and not maimed. <laughs> That's a pretty high bar there, Gretchen. If you don't mind picking up a book, okay. Right. But yeah, right. I just I just think Tiana has, like, the best resume coming into this. No, oh, I agree. Sure. I think, I like, think she's got a strong resume. Responsible. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's let's move on and talk about our last family esque thing. Disappointed dads, one of our favorites. Do you often leave your sister home alone? No, never. Oh, well, except for just now. So, uh, yeah, in our complicated familial dynamics uh, podcast, whenever we did that, it was like episode one x fourteen, I think. 
uh, we discussed a lot of families that had disappointed dads in them. <laughs> but yeah. I think that's just because a lot of dutiful princesses are driven by the disappointments their dad feels. Oh. <laughs> or that I they mean, perceive. Yeah. 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 It's kind of, so, I feel like that goes with the territory. Absolutely. But let me ask, uh, we tend to not like super gendered stuff. Why do we like this trope? Because doesn't it sort of just be like, oh yeah, the father's approval is needed because patriarchy. Huh. That's an interesting question. <laughs> is this is this a fundamentals call out? I was not prepared. Yeah. Um I this, just thought of it too. This may be less I I would say I am not as I'm probably not as com I like disappointed dads as a trope, but I'm probably not as compelled buy it as you guys are um it's true and i mean we're compelled by the uh feudal lord and handmaiden tropes so oh my gosh oh my gosh um <laughs> oh han and leia <laughs> right right and korasami um just kidding just kidding don't at me um <laughs> i don't i don't think it necessarily is gendered yeah, I mean, it but like, look be. at our, our bullet points. We don't have any moms here, and we usually do. Like, That's we usually... the segment is disappointed dads. Yeah, but that doesn't we could have a whole other us. segment on disappointed moms. Can we? Yeah, we've got Naomi Bunch. She's, but she's like, all these dads are like rationally disappointed. <laughs> well, except for Richard. <laughs> but like, I mean, the disappointed dad we have in our theme song is Ang. Yeah, and right. it's Boomy. Like, the primary means by which we see, like, that work out is, like, Boomy's feelings about his dad. Yeah, we get it with Kaya, but, like, Boomy is the one who's, like, welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. Mm-hmm. Like, and, like, Tenzin is a dutiful princess. So Tenzin's yeah. got, like, huge loads of, like, guilt in, <laughs> about his dad. I mean, it's an understatement of the year. Like, Tenzin and Aang is just, like, to me, like, the er-disappointed dad dynamic. So... I will give my own answer for why I'm cool with this trope and mm-hmm. super driven by it. And I think it's because generally in media, when the dad is disappointed, it's rarely like, okay, dad, now I'm going to be exactly what you want. Yeah. End story. Like, that's mm. almost never what happens. Sometimes you do get a coming of age where a kid, like, lives up to something like uh, after Earth, Jaden Smith becomes braver like Will Smith. Yeah. But that's an M. Night Shyamalan film. Right. (laughs) However, it usually comes with a more overt challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's usually the dad whose opinion changes rather than Mm -hmm. the child's. Sometimes unnecessarily Mm -hmm. or randomly. Like King Triton, for instance, was the primary disappointed dad and then he comes around to it like yeah Didn't Ariel Lindsay Ellis argue that this is actually a movie about King Triton <laughs> I, I think, think I'm so. sure she did. Yeah, that was her right yeah. but I think in general it actually comes with an overt challenge to that patriarchal function too because mm. of it I think my favorite example of it might be uh Black Sails because mm. Richard Guthrie is like super disappointed dad Right. Uh, and he ends up just kind of disappointing Eleanor more for us. I mean, right, the, only, right. the only thing that he's disappointed about is that she doesn't have a penis, basically. Like, yeah. Yeah, he just doesn't approve. <laughs> like, right. So she- right. <sighs> right. And it, there may, and there may be an element, I think you're yeah. right about that, that like, especially if it's a disappointed dad of a female character, mm-hmm. in recent media, oftentimes that functions as a challenge to 
the patriarchal perception that he is disappointed and what is the reason behind that? And it's typically like, oh, because he had gendered assumptions and right. that's bullshit. I think there's a level at which some of it might be also the way that like dads are scripted. And this is another gender dynamic, but it's not – it's patriarchal but in a different way. The mm-hmm. way that like dads are generally scripted differently than moms. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really have as many disappointed moms. You have like like guilt – you have guilt-tripping moms who are like typically written as being um, unreasonable yeah. in their – fixation on like why didn't you yeah, do like, the no thing? Bun- like Naomi Bunch like Naomi Bunch like right and that's really different than side like because she's clearly not well <laughs> right right and that's different than like a dad who is like I just mm-hmm. don't approve of your choices and I'm disappointed in you like you hardly ever get female parental figures written that way right but like that's what's interesting is the like is the oftentimes at least to me some of it is the generation gap involved yeah and it's the clash of perceptions and values inherent behind, like, disappointed dad. is like it's the dad being like, I disagree with your choices and that disappoints me. And then they have to have – and then they have a conflict about, like, well, why can't you respect my choices? The narrative also rarely centers on the dad figure. It's right. always on the child. So even Except if it is a matter – <laughs> So it, it, unless, like – Unless the child is kind of fulfilling some kind of destiny to become more like their parent, which is usually spurred on by the death of a disappointed father more than a disappointed father being around. Mm. It, it, again, results in sort of them defining something for themselves. Thor Ragnarok is maybe the most interesting example to me of something that tried to toy with this Mm. and give Thor something, but then they, like, forgot and got distracted. Black Panther kind of did the same thing too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Black Panther's uh, what, what's his name T'Chaka. I don't think he was particularly disappointed in T'Challa, though. Yeah, that's true. He, he seemed like yay, son. Yeah, that was more about T'Challa being disappointed in his father. Yeah, yeah. which I think is an interesting relation. Yeah, like it's an interesting inversion, I suppose, of this trope. Right, right, and that's why we like Tenzin and Aang so much. Yeah, because right. it's that breakdown of idealization. Um, and then, of course, Boomy's welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. That comes we we don't yeah. actually know if Tenzin was disappointed if Ang was disappointed in Boomy. I write him to be mildly so, but right. But as far as we know, Ang was potato pro- sack, <laughs> which yes. you should all go read. Oh, for God's sake! It's called potato right. sack. Like, come on. <laughs> one of one of the cleaner examples of disappointed dad, like Superman, the Jarrell figure is almost always a dickhead. And like, son, why aren't you doing what I want you to do all the time? But Jarrell is also like, he's he's a point to be challenged, right? Like mm. the whole thing about Clark is that he's on Earth and he takes in those human values that Jarrell doesn't understand. It's like Spock mm-hmm. and Sarek. Yeah. Yep. I, I I'm guessing. I think you're right. I'll be I'll be perfectly honest. So the reason I thought of this segment uh, and suggested it today is because I've been playing a lot of Breath of the Wild lately. Mm. It's an excellent game, and there was just I was kind of just exploring uh, the Hyrule Castle, trying to get some loot. I'm not anywhere near strong enough to actually be taking it on, and not good at the game. But there's this one little way that you can recall a flashback of Link's and it flashes back to Zelda and her dad comes out like, Zelda, what are you doing? Why are you wasting all your time? She's like, I'm trying to do everything I can. It's just King Rowan being horribly disappointed in Zelda. (laughs) (laughs) And then I remembered that Bo wrote a piece called Zelda's a Dutiful Princess in Breath of the Wild and it's fantastic. 
Yep. And that's why I like Legend of Zelda so much, too, because you just play as, like, her hot bodyguard. <laughs> mm. I would also say this applies to Star Trek Discovery. And that is one of oh, the things I really sure. like about Michael's character. Yeah, and Sarah. Sarah is just, like, a disappointed dad all the time, apparently. <laughs> He's disappointed yeah. in both of his, like, bicultural children, biracial, bi one is both biracial. Apply, one is, I don't know. Both technically, yeah, technically apply. But yeah, but that's one thing that that's, I think they handle that really well. I also really love Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of, great. I'm still kind of questioning the choice to make Michael Spock's long lost foster sister. <laughs> Not sure that was necessary, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I think they could have handled that same <sighs> plot line without it being a Vulcan that we were aware, that we knew already. Yeah. Um, but I do think that that disappointed dad dynamic worked really well. Oh, for sure. Because basically, like, yeah, for Michael, her whole journey through the whole season is like dealing with like her conflicting, you know, thoughts about. You know, what would Sarek want her to do in her Sarek and her Vulcan heritage versus like it's like her adopted culture versus her culture yeah. of origin. We're not gonna talk about Lorik as a disappointed daddy because that's just creepy. Spoilers. <laughs> right. Um but yeah, I yeah, I think that works really well. It works really well if it's a if it's a if there are elements of like culture cultural mm-hmm. or idea clash. At least for me, that's what I find most compelling is the like I like if the child is doing what they believe is right. And the parent doesn't understand, and so is disappointed, and yeah. But like, and you have, I don't like Richard Guthrie seems to be the exception to this, but like this usually works the best when like the dad is actually like trying on some level. Mm. Right? Like if the dad Guthrie is just is not trying, yeah. If the dad is just like an asshole, then it doesn't quite King work Triton. as well. Yeah, well, like Mulan's dad gets super disappointed in her. Yeah, but. And he, like, doesn't admit it, though, because he's such a mensch, but... <laughs> exactly. But, like, it, it's compelling enough. Yeah. And she was... she What she was doing was to save his life, anyway. Yeah. Um, Pocahontas's dad, I believe, was disappointed in her. Like, all these early 90s Disney movies, I guess. <laughs> I guess uh, Little Mermaid was 89. But they're all just kind of, like, centered around, like, disappointed parents. That's why it's kind of nice in Beauty and the Beast. I mean, not nice, but it's like, no, she actually likes her dad, and that's what drives the plot. <laughs> yeah, right. if your dad is, like, comically small then he's not a disappointed dad but if he's <laughs> right like jasmine's dad was super happy with her yeah. oh but moana works really well for disappointed dad oh yeah it does so well for disappointed dad that's because she's a dutiful princess <laughs> dutiful princesses almost always have disappointed dads like that's the true. example that we somehow managed not to mention so far doran and aria yeah how did we do, do we- that I think because we knew what would happen if we mentioned it. Right. I feel I got the sense that you guys were like, let's talk about all the other things before we get to Doran and Ariane. Well, what's great is that they both disappoint each other a lot. Mm. And in fact, Ariane explicitly says, like, because he says, I'm disappointed in you. And she goes, well, I've been disappointed in you for years. <laughs> no, it's funny because, like, um, in our internet discourse life about this topic, we've come across that, like, criticism that like Ariane's plot in is basically her learning to obey her father and we push back against that so hard yeah I, I just honestly don't know what books anyone was reading yeah well I mean probably the same books where Arya is a 
is super sexist and Sansa has no point. So, <laughs> gee, for some reason, right? <laughs> and and Danny is totally just going to like become John's Nissa Nissa because her only point is to sacrifice herself for him. Oh, for fuck's sake. It's probably those books that they're reading. Mm. You know, there's a lot of disappointed dads in The Song of Ice and Fire, though. Yeah, it's true. Like, um, obviously, Randall is just an abusive monster dad. Robert is just disappointed that his children exist. Tywin's a disappointed dad, no. also an abusive asshole. I mean, Ned uh, isn't a disappointed dad, but John has a complex about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, Dior Mormont is a disappointed dad and his horrible slaving son. Yeah. Yeah. That's. He's. Other than. Has a good reason other to than, be disappointed, um, though, so that's a little different. I mean, Robert's probably disappointed in his kids. That's what I said. He's disappointed that they oh, exist yeah. because it's so inconvenient to him. Right. Well, yeah, and he also, like, smashed Joffrey. Did he, like, scream at Joffrey for cutting open a cat? So punched him and broke some of his baby teeth, I think. Yeah. Or slapped him. Not punched Great. him, he slapped him. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, you know, in, in general, there's, uh, I'm sure Balon was disappointed. Yeah, Balon's by... kind of a jerk. Oh, he was yeah. super disappointed in Theon. Yeah. Absolutely. Other than, um, proud papa of Brienne, there's, there's <laughs> usually more disappointed dads <laughs> than happy dads. Albert didn't seem to be a disappointed dad. No, oh, he was no. He's a, he's a super proud papa. Yeah. Oh, Doran. <laughs> now we're just going to talk about that again. Also, if you like cycles of father and daughter both disappointing each other, Batwoman, uh, mm. Jacob, and Kate have been trading off on who's more disappointing. <laughs> Is it the other one? That's like the most Batwoman thing ever. I feel like <laughs> just like passing yep. around the disappointment ball. Mm-hmm. Between. It's like the rest of their family is dead, so how can they let each other down consistently? Right. But they do. They find a way. Well, not not the rest of the family. Whatever. Read Elegy. Read Elegy. Yeah. You'd yeah. like it. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Are there any other Disney dads that were disappointed that we're forgetting? Because I feel like that was <laughs> sure such we a are. trope. Uh, but you're right. If, if they're pudgy dads, they're no, happy. Yeah. There's no dad in Snow White. After that was Pinocchio. Was that disappointed dad? <laughs> Um, we can go through the entire oeuvre. It's not really how I would characterize <laughs> Geppetto. That's, that's a good question. Yeah, were there were no disappointed dads in uh, Black Cauldron, were there? No. No. Mm. I mean, that movie was so incoherent, it's kind of hard to tell, but... There aren't really any dads. Yeah. I mean, there was that guy at the beginning who was looking after the pig. That guy. Yeah, but he wasn't... Um... It wasn't the dad. No. Marceline's Marceline's biological father, I guess, mm, yeah. is a very disappointed dad because she won't eat souls. Flame Princess also has a really disappointed dad. Uh and that's kind of resolved a little bit. But it's 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 good. It's really good with those two. Bubblegum does not have a disappointed dad though. I need to be clear on that. She just came from gum. <laughs> so I think she's doing fine. But yeah, let us know your favorite disappointed dad trope as well. So yeah, you have to let us know a lot of things because you have to tell us your favorite found family, mm-hmm. who you'd have babysit your kids, and your favorite disappointed dad. It's the trifecta of yes. completely random fandom conversation. But, uh, otherwise, I think this is a good place to wrap it up. We always like our family-centered episodes mm-hmm. uh, because the fundamentalist is a true found family as well. Aww. Look at look Aww. at that! We're the best. Mm-hmm. 
And my son is right here lying on my keyboard as we record. So my son is very better. happy because Croatia won. Oh, did they? Yes. It Yay. was undecided still. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm very happy. Just in case I'm bullshitting. I'm pulling for Belgium at this point, but Belgium is so plucky. You know, we've never right. won before, which makes it nice. And like, it's just like Belgium. You know, like brave little Belgium. Yeah. They're a made-up country. Don't at me. And. I like they they lot. drink a lot of beer. They drink a lot of beer. Put, they eat a lot of cheese. They're my people. They eat mayonnaise on French fries. Exactly. Tell us in the comments who you root for. In the <laughs> oh my god. We're, we are going to get out of here today, but we should be back on a somewhat uh, regular posting schedule. As far as I know, for the rest of the summer, if that changes, we'll try to at least give you a heads up. So very sorry for that. And thank you for your patience on it. And be sure to check out thefandamentals.com as well as Fandamentals Plus for your extra loot. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's all, it's all like original editor content, mm-hmm. so you're going to get more stuff from us. If you, you, like you us. love hearing us talk, apparently, since you listen to this podcast. <laughs> right. Oh I'm going to be doing it. Mine is going to be going up next week, and I'm going to be doing a YouTube video on underrated Disney movies. Yeah, and if you like hearing Julie and I explain stuff to Gretchen, I think we may do a walking through a Dave Hill episode of Game of Thrones for her because she stopped watching right after the Red Wedding. Yeah. So that might be the second podcast. But of will July. it be Sons of the Harpy or will it be Blood of My Blood? <gasps> oh. The suspense is killing me. We should have a poll. Ooh. <laughs> you should have a poll. What, oh what episode of Game of Thrones should Kylie and Julia explain to Gretchen? From season five. On. From season five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let us know all of that. And otherwise, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye, Bye. everyone. As the princess, you currently have a crucial, unfulfilled responsibility to your kingdom. Let me ask you once more. When will you stop treating this as some sort of childish game? I'm doing everything I can. I'll have you know that I just recently returned from the Spring of Courage, where I offered every ounce of my prayers to the goddess. And now you are here, wasting your time. You need to be dedicating every moment you have to your training. You must be single-minded in unlocking the power that will seal Calamity Ganon away. I already am. Don't you see? There's nothing more I can do. My hope, my hope is that you, that you'll allow me to contribute here in whatever way I can. No more excuses, Zelda. Stop running away from your duty. 